0: Nature of God is who God is. Works of God details what God does. So, for the last few times we've been together, we've been discussing the works of God. What what does God do? Uh, what are, what are His works that spring from who He is? And so, we talked about God being Creator. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Last week we had a really interesting discussion, it was at least interesting to me, but an interesting discussion about God being sustainer. Not only did He make everything, but He holds it all together. And uh, we uh, talked about that last week. Well, there are two other aspects as we talk about the works of God that I want to discuss before we go on to the next doctrine, which will be the doctrine of humanity. Uh, that will be some interesting Discussion, But again, in classic theology, these are two more headings that you often see under the works of God. The first uh, blank you have there underneath sustainer is the word redeemer. God is a creator. He is a sustainer. He is a redeemer. Because God made everything, but sin messed everything up. We live in a fallen world that's full of fallen humanity... And because of that, God has enacted a work of redemption to redeem the created order, to redeem fallen mankind, to make everything new. And so that's what God is doing. He is a redeeming uh, God. And, and I want to show you this, and I'm not going to talk a lot about this because uh, I'm, I'd be kind of be stealing the thunder from my Sunday morning sermon. We're going to talk a lot about this Sunday morning in the Book of Ephesians. We talk about God's God's great plan, um, but just 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 I want to show you just one verse in relation to God being redeemer, and kind of set that in the context of scriptures Genesis three fifteen. If uh, you are familiar with the book of Genesis, you know that Genesis 3 is well known for being the, the, the passage where Adam and Eve sin against God by taking the fruit and eating the fruit from the tree God told them not to eat from. Of course, they're tempted by Satan, and when they disobey God, everything changes. Sin enters their heart. Sin enters the created order. And things begin to begin to go bad quickly. In fact, in chapter four, you see that uh, one of their sons kills another son. Cain kills Abel. That's how quickly things uh, degenerated uh, after sin entered the world. And just a couple chapters after that, God floods the world and starts over with Noah and his family after preserving them on an ark. But I want you to see that when Adam and Eve sinned and sin entered the world and, and the created order was fallen, God already had a plan in place. In fact, this plan was in place before the foundations of the earth. And look what it says in Genesis chapter three verse 15. Genesis 3 verse 15. He's speaking here to the serpent who tempted Adam and Eve to sin. And he curses uh, the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. So he's speaking here of Satan who took on the form of a serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now this verse is called the Protoevangelium, which means first gospel or first um, preaching or, or proclaiming of good news—that's what that word means. Because this is the first verse in the Bible that foreshadows God's plan of redemption. And a couple things you see here: first of all, uh, this plan revolves around the offspring of a woman. Of course, this—looking uh, back uh, with with 2020 vision, having the completed the canon of Scripture, we know that. God sent his son who left heaven, came to earth, and took on humanity in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And, and he says there that this woman's offspring that he would send would do battle with the enemy. And notice what it says there. He shall bruise your head, that's a mortal wound, and you shall bruise his heel. That's a wound, but not a, a mortal wound. In other words, the cross would be a time where Jesus suffered. Jesus died on the cross, But it was not forever death because Jesus rose from the dead. And the cross, you might say, was Satan bruising Jesus' heel. But the cross was Jesus stomping Satan's head. Because it dealt Satan a mortal blow. Because he defeated sin when he died on the cross for the sins of humanity. And Satan can no longer hold our sins against us if we go to Christ and are forgiven. He can no longer take us to hell if we are forgiven and on our way to heaven. And so uh, Jesus came to crush the head of the serpent. So this one verse in Genesis 3 right after the fall helps us to understand this. God's plan of redemption was in place before the fall. It was in place before the fall. It doesn't say that explicitly there. It's interesting how quickly God uh, announces this plan right after the fall. It's not like after Adam and Eve's sin that God has this emergency meeting of the Trinity in heaven and said what are we going to do? I mean, Adam and Eve blew it and what's going to happen? And we we have no plan. What's what now? God knew this was going to happen. God had a plan in place. In fact, the Bible says that this plan was so certain that it was as if Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world. This plan was in place before the world was ever created because God knows everything. He knew how things would transpire, and and He knew that humanity would need a Savior. So God's plan of redemption was in place before the fall. And and here's a key to understanding your Bible. The major storyline of the Bible, the rest of the Bible, is how God executed that plan. Genesis 3.15 says, hey, God's got a plan in place. It revolves around offspring of a woman. He's going to crush the serpent's head. His heel will be bruised. But the rest of the Bible is how God brings this plan into place. You go to Genesis chapter 12. He starts with Abraham. He builds a great nation through Abraham. And he preserves the nation of Israel. He preserves the Jews. Through the Jews he sends a Messiah named Jesus. Jesus comes to this earth, lives a perfect life, dies on the cross for the sins of the world, rises from the dead, ascends back to the Father, will one day come back. And because of all of that, because of what Jesus did, God has provided redemption for a fallen humanity. And so if you want to know what your Bible's about, 66 books, over 40 different authors, there's this really just one major storyline. It's about God's plan of redemption. God's plan to save a fallen humanity and to make everything new once again. And so you might say that all of God's works in some way, shape, or form are are related to this, this ultimate act of redemption. So God is a redeemer. Now again... We could spend weeks talking about God's plan of redemption. In fact, we'll talk about some more when we get to the doctrine of Christ and what Christ actually did for fallen humanity. I'm going to talk about it Sunday in my sermon on Ephesians. Uh, but I just want to kind of give you a taste here that p- part of what God is doing is He's redeeming, he, He's actively redeeming. That's what the Bible tells us uh, about. The Lord. In fact, you could even break down the Bible like this. Now, I just said "in fact" again. I'm trying not to say "in fact" so much because when you start saying "in fact" a lot, it becomes a, a verbal crutch. So I'm going to try, stop saying "in fact" a lot. Okay, I've already said it three times. I'm, I'm, I'm working. I'm working on it. So you, you could you could you could sum up the Bible in four words. Okay, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Creation and fall happen in. The first three chapters, right? Redemption is really chapter 3 through Revelation uh, 21. Uh, And then consummation is Revelation 21 and 22. So think about this. The the entire Bible from Genesis 3 to Revelation 21 is the the story of redemption. And the last two chapters in Revelation is when God brings it all together and consummates all things and makes everything uh, new. And so the Bible is a book about redemption. Now, let's talk about one other category under the works of God. And again, if you're reading a a systematic theology book and you're studying the works of God, this aspect will probably be mentioned here. And it it refers to uh, or relates to God's agents. God's agents. A G E N T S. God's agents. In other words, God uses some agents to help him accomplish his work or to accomplish the work he sends them uh, to do. He really doesn't need help, but he uses agents to accomplish his work. He works through these agents. And we're talking about angels. We're talking about angels. And even as I studied this week about angels to teach tonight, I was just amazed at how much the Bible has to say about angels. There's a lot of information about angels in the Bible. We're just going to it's kind of just scratch the surface. But here's what's interesting. There's a lot of information about angels in the Bible, but what most people think about angels has nothing to do with the information in the Bible. I mean, nothing. I mean, our concept of angels is so skewed by just things we've heard or things we've, we've seen. Um, and uh, we, we really don't have a, a, a good concept of what the Bible teaches about angels. So I want to I just kind of just give you kind of a brief overview of what the Bible says about God's agents who are angels. And, uh, and, and, and we'll, we'll go from there. First of all, angels are created supernatural beings that worship and serve God as He carries out His works. Angels are created Supernatural beings that worship and serve God as he carries out his works. Um, Turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. Verse 6. These are the Levites leading the people of God in worship. And look how they pray in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host. So God made heaven, and he made the host of heaven, which includes angels. And so this teaches that angels are created. And he goes on to say, the earth. And all that is on it, the seas, and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. The host of heaven worships you. And so angels are created beings. Uh, Turn over to Colossians chapter 1. New Testament book of Colossians. We're going to just kind of hit some scriptures pretty quickly. For by him... Here's speaking of Christ, the agency of creation. For by him all things were created. And he goes on to describe all things. In heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So the the invisible heavenly host were were created by God. And we learn that these, these... Angels have as their primary role worshiping and serving God. Uh, You don't need to turn there, but if you look at Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah is given this view of, of heaven and he sees the Lord seated on his throne, the train of his robe filling the temple... There are seraphim, they're flying around him with six wings, and they're crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So we see angels there worshiping. And then turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Look what it says in verse 20. Psalm 103, verse 20. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. So Isaiah 6, we see angels continually flying around the throne Worshipping the Lord, giving him the uh, ascribing him the worth that is due his name here in Psalm 103. The angels are described as those who do his word, who obey the voice of his word, to uh, who do his will. So they are ministers of God, serving him, carrying out all that he desires to do. So that's what angels are. They're created supernatural beings that worship and serve God as he carries out his. Works. That's the first thing about angels. Now there is an interesting question here, and we don't want to spend a lot of time discussing it. But the question is when were when were angels created? Uh, And there's debate on you know which day of creation they were created. And there's a lot of scholarly discussion. Uh, about that, but there are some verses that speak of the angels witnessing God creating and worshiping as He creates, which would, which would uh, mean that angels were probably created early on in the the creation uh, story. Uh, but we don't know that for sure. But here's what we do know for sure: there are many angels. Many angels. You use the word innumerable, more more than we can uh, count. Look in Deuteronomy 33. Deuteronomy, 5th book in the Bible. Deuteronomy, chapter 33. I know I have you turning a lot tonight, but these are some verses that our eyes need to look at. It says, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. This is Moses' blessing upon Israel. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the... T- from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. So it says as he came to rescue Israel, as he came to bring judgment on Egypt, it says he came from uh, ten thousands of holy ones. It doesn't say ten thousand; it says ten thousands of holy ones. So lots. And, And then Psalm 68, 17. Psalm 68, 17. This will be the last verse we look at under this point. But... The Psalm of David, Psalm 68, 17 says this The chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. Lord's among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. And then Hebrews. 12.22 Twelve twenty two uses the word innumerable, and then Revelation speaks of the the host upon host that are worshiping in heaven, and so uh, there are many angels. It seems that they are beyond counting. There are lots of them, which is uh, pretty incredible. Now, another, and this is another topic for another day, but we do know that there were angels in heaven, and we do know there was a rebellion in heaven. Revelation twelve, where Lucifer, an angel himself got proud and wanted to be like God. And so he led a rebellion in heaven. There's a lot of mystery of what all that entailed. But he took a third of the heavenly host with him. And so you might call those angels that followed Satan fallen angels. Uh, We know them now to be demons. And so if there are many, many innumerable angels, and a third of them followed Satan, that means there are many, many demons as well. Okay, Just something to think about. So there are many angels. Now, here's the important thing and this is this is where a lot of people um a lot of people don't really think much about angels because of this point. Angels are invisible unless God chooses to reveal them. Angels are invisible unless God chooses to reveal them. And so uh, the angelic hosts, demons—they are in. They're supernatural. They're created, and they are in the invisible realm. We we can't see them with our physical um, eyesight. If we could, it would probably freak us all out. Um, but but we can't unless God. And there are certain times in Scripture where God allows an angel to be seen. One of my favorite stories is 2 Kings chapter six. Uh, there is a foreign nation that figures out that there's a prophet in Israel that keeps telling the king of Israel uh, every move they make. And so every time they try to bring their army to overthrow Israel, they know they're coming and they're ready for them. So this king says, uh, we got to go get this guy who's who's telling the king every move that we're going to make. So they hear about this prophet named Elisha. And so this entire army comes to overthrow Elisha in 2 Kings uh, chapter 6. And... It's just Elisha and his servant, and they're in this valley, and here comes this army, and, and all you have is a preacher and his helper. And the, the servant looks at Elisha and says, uh-oh, there's an entire army coming. And Elisha basically tells the servant to calm down. And he, here's what he says. He says, there are more with us than with them. And the servant says, I don't understand. So Elisha prays. He says, Lord, would you open his eyes that he may see who's on our side. And God gives this this servant this this view into the spiritual realm. And he sees the entire valley uh, covered with with fierce warriors and chariots of fire. And the servant's like, oh, oh, I get it. (laughs) We're going to be okay. And God delivers them, he strikes, he strikes the army blind and delivers Elisha and his servant from this threat. But, but God opened his eyes and he saw that there were these, these warriors, these, these warriors of fire, and there are many of them. And, and he got that insight into the supernatural realm. So angels are invisible unless God chooses to uh, reveal them. And, and here's, here's the issue with that. A lot of us don't think much about the spiritual realm or don't think enough about the spiritual realm but here's what I want you to understand angels and demons are just as real as Don sitting right there now we see Don; he's got flesh and blood so we see him right there and we we know he's real right he's in the room with us but just because we can't see the the angelic realm just because we can't see the demonic realm doesn't mean they're not real they're real just as real they're just invisible they're in the invisible supernatural realm. So we need to understand the reality of angels, even though we don't see them in our uh, normal day to day life. Now, in the Bible, we see angels serving God in particular ways. I want to just walk through four ways, and then I'll take a couple questions, and then we'll have some prayer time uh, and be done. First of all, we see angels serving God by delivering messages by delivering messages. Luke 1, 11 is the story of the angel Gabriel coming to um, Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist, and he says, you and Elizabeth are about to have a son, and he's going to be the forerunner for the Christ, which is a really big deal. And he, he appears to him during his priestly duties at the temple, and he, he tells him his name. My name is Gabriel. So Gabriel seems to have a messenger function, and God uses his... His angels for, for, for delivering messages. Over in Acts 8.26, uh, an angel tells Philip to go into the desert where he encounters the Ethiopian eunuch and leads him to Christ. He was directed there by an angel. Same in chapter 10. Angels appear uh, to, to bring together Peter and Cornelius and to give them a message from God. And so uh, God uses angels uh, to deliver messages and, and that's a very important aspect of angels. Secondly, we see angels serving God by carrying out God's judgments, by carrying out God's judgments. Second Samuel 24, when David sinned by counting his people, it was a prideful census, and so God sends judgment on David. He lets him choose from three different options. and uh, he says, "Don't let me be attacked by another nation. Uh, don't send sickness, I, I, I'm trusting you I, I'll take whatever comes from your hand, God because you're merciful. And so the Bible speaks of an angel carrying out a great a great pestilence against people and thousands of people die as an act of judgment and an angel is involved in that. Uh, Acts 1223 uh, is when uh, Herod um, uh, Herod Antipas, when he um, wants to usurp the authority of God and he he comes out in this glittering robe, and and, uh, and and the people are wowed by how regal he looks. And he is so prideful, and God strikes him down. And uh, basically, he his, his you know he has this bowel disease, and he, and he dies instantly. Claire and I have been to that Colosseum. It's uh, Caesarea, uh, Caesarea Martania, and uh, we were touring with a group, and. Uh, and uh, we are we are in this this amphitheater where this happened in Acts chapter twelve. It's just awful. In fact, let me show you. This. Turn to, turn to Acts twelve very quickly. Acts twelve. Yes, yeah. Accessory by the sea. Acts chapter twelve. Herod comes out in his royal robes. Verse twenty one. The people were shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. And instead of Herod saying, I'm not a God, he received their adulation. Immediately an angel of the Lord, notice that, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God glory, was eaten by worms and breathed his last. That's not a fun way to die, right? Eaten by worms. Well, Claire and I were in this amphitheater where this story actually took place. And uh, Claire didn't have all the background yet uh, of, of what all took place here, and uh, and. um I, I, she was standing kind of up the steps, kind of in the middle, kind of where this would have happened, and uh, and she looked really cute. She had these cool sunglasses, and, and so I took her picture, and she was smiling, and uh, and I told her, I said, hey, you're standing right by where Herod got eaten by worms, and she's like, oh. <laughs> so if you look at the picture, she looks really happy and joyful, and, uh, and, and she, looks, she, looks, she, looks, she looks really good in the picture, but it's like she's standing right there where this awful thing took place. If she would have known that, she probably wouldn't have been smiling like that, but anyway, uh, an angel carried this uh, out. And so we see angels serving God by carrying out God's judgments. Um, you see in Revelation, in end time scenarios, when there's the pouring out of the bowls of wrath, angels are pouring out the bowls. Uh, next, and this is interesting, we see angels protecting God's people. Turn to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. This is the passage that speaks most explicitly about this. Psalm 91, verse 11. This is an entire psalm about God's protection. Look what it says in verse 11. Psalm 91, verse 11. How does God protect us? Here's one way. He will command His angels concerning you. To guard you in all your ways. On your, their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. So, so uh, this psalm says that one of the ways that God exercises protection on our behalf is by using angels. Now we have no idea what this looks like. Uh, I, I think one of the things we'll experience in heaven is we'll get to look back over our lives and see all the times God was protecting us and we didn't even know it. You may have heard this illustration before. I've, I think I've used it here before. But uh, when uh, Caleb was a little guy, he's he's 15 now, when he was a little guy, we got in one of these little electric uh, John Deere tractors, you know. And, and uh, he was in our... A driveway, and he was driving this tractor, as happy as he could be, and he had the pedal to the metal, he was driving that thing, and he was headed towards the back of my truck, and his head was just about the height of my bumper. And so I'm walking beside him, and he's heading for that bumper, and I see what's going to happen. And so I just, just very, I just kind of nudge him with my leg and just kind of nudge him. And he, it kind of turns and he just cruises right by the truck. And he's happy and having a good time. He had no idea that he was headed for a collision with my truck. I just, I just kind of nudged him to the side. I wonder, I wonder if there are times in our lives, or I, believe, I believe there are times in our lives, where we're just happy-go-lucky doing our thing. And God is using angels to maybe keep us from harm we didn't even know was there. And I think part of heaven is going to be kind of realizing that, that. That we see where God intervened and God stepped in to protect us using his um, angels. Over in Hebrews 1:13 and 14, uh, the Bible speaks of angels being ministering spirits for the elect. So God used them to minister directly to us. Now, these verses are used often to speak of, of guardian angels... And there's the idea out there that we all have a guardian angel. The Bible does not say that. The Bible says that angels are used by God to protect us, but it doesn't say each of us has an assigned angel. Now, we may, but the Bible didn't say that. We just know that angels are used for protection. So, you know, there's, there's just no reference to us having our individual own guardian angel. Okay, You just won't see that um, in the Bible. So, by protecting God's people. And then finally we see angels serving God by waging war against the forces of darkness. Daniel 10, you see Michael, who's who's called the archangel, which means there are there's some order among the angelic host. They're organized for battle. Michael, the archangel, is doing battle with the prince of Persia, which I believe is a reference to uh, Satan and his forces, and uh, and and he comes uh, in response to Daniel's prayer. Revelation twelve, we speak, we hear of the war in heaven, where Satan, Lucifer, led a third of the angels to 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 follow him. Fallen angels, they became demons. But the, the Bible speaks of a great warfare in heaven, and so uh, so these angels are in fact waging war against the forces of darkness. There are things going on in the spiritual realm. That would blow our mind if we could see them. Now, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. J- Jesus has won the victory. God's in control. God's calling the shots. But Satan is still raging. He's still a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And until that time when Satan is cast into the eternal lake of fire, God is using his angels to push back the darkness of Satan and his demons. And so You just need to know that is, that is happening. I wonder... You know, I, I don't want to get too mystical because I'm speaking beyond what the Bible actually says here, but we do know there's warfare. And I just wonder what a what a Sunday morning looks like in the spiritual realm. You know, in this room, you know, the gospel's being preached, and you start to give an invitation, right? Inviting people to be saved. I wonder what the spiritual warfare is like in that moment. You've got Satan who wants to destroy. You've got uh, Jesus who, who saves, who redeems. And there are spiritual forces at play. And you just wonder what all that looks like. But uh, we know that our God is in control. And we fight uh, not for victory but from victory. Uh, but there is there is there are still battles happening in the cosmic realm. And angels are used for this purpose. So notice... And again, there are a lot more verses, but just notice what we haven't said. We haven't talked about, you know, babies with angel wings floating on a cloud. Right? That's our, our, kind of our concept of, of what angels are all about. Um, I, I, I've heard this before, and I try to be sensitive, and I hope if you hear it, you'll be sensitive as well, because some people just speak from, from ignorance. They just, they, they've never been taught and and they and they say things in moments of grief that make them feel better but i've been around families before they've lost a loved one and they'll say something like an angel just got its wings another angel's got its wings and the idea there is that someone dies here and they become an angel in heaven that's not the case it's not the case there is humans are are different than angels we got that and when, when, when a human dies, he, does, he or she does not become an angel. They, they go to heaven or to hell based upon what they do with Jesus Christ. And they spend eternity in that place. But they do not become an angel. Um, and so, again, a lot, there's a lot of these false ideas out there about angels um, that a lot of times come from sentimentality and not from Scripture. Again, we want to handle those gently and, and, and tenderly and, and help, people walk, you know, help people walk through that. Maybe there's a time you don't even say something until maybe later down the road because they're grieving. So, you know, you've got you to gotta filter all that in. But, uh, but we want to make sure our, our views of angels are informed by the Scripture and, and not by um, popular thoughts. I mean, my mom loved the show growing up, um, when I was growing up. Um, Highway to Heaven. Michael Landon was the angel walking around. You know, he was doing nice stuff for people and he was an angel. And, you know, and, and uh, my mom loved that show. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, again, our, our concepts of angels are, are, are formed by, by those types of things. Um, now, could there be angels uh, that have taken on some kind of form uh, among us? Uh, well, the Bible says, Hebrews 13. Talks about hospitality. You remember what it says? So we ought to be hospitable because some people in being hospitable have entertained what? Angels unaware. And so there's a lot of mystery here. We don't have it all figured out, right? Uh, but but we want to stay uh, grounded on what the scripture teaches and not just popular ideas. So we talk about the works of God. We talk about Him being creator, sustainer redeemer and we we, we've got to think about his agents that he uses to carry out uh his works in this world in the created order thank you for listening we pray you've been encouraged and inspired by god's word may the lord richly bless you